the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. of the Ascended Masters have been called the path above the path. The Ascended Masters themselves are the saints and sages of East and West, and their teachings incorporate the original core beliefs of all the world's major religions. No matter which religious path you follow, you will find these teachings equally compelling. This is The Open Door. Come along with us as we explore the teachings of the Ascended Masters. Here are the hosts for The Open Door, Ross Brunson and Tom Schumacher. Well, hello, everyone, and um, thanks for staying with us. I know we're having a bit of a late start uh, this morning or afternoon, depending upon where you are. But I want to thank you very much for joining us during uh, Christmas week. We hope you are all well. And let you know again that you are tuned to The Open Door the Internet Voice of the Summit Lighthouse, where we publish and practice the teachings of the Ascended Masters. I'm Tom Schumacher. And I'm Ross Brunson. Today's focus, karma and reincarnation. That's correct, Ross. And we're not talking about the Queen of Detroit. No, we're not. (laughs) As ye sow, so shall ye reap. That's karma. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Yep. Cause and effect. I remember reading somewhere that the Masters have said that past actions create our present circumstances. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is that we're experiencing in this moment, we set in motion at some point in the past, which means the next time that I stub my toes, I have to figure out what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, figure that one out. Well, yeah, and we're talking about maybe the far distant past. Right. Because we have been here many times before. And we've been trying to get it right. No, yeah, and by that, of course, we're talking about reincarnation. Kind of like a dynamic duo, you know, karma and reincarnation, the original <laughs> superheroes. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> which I think uh, can be seen sometimes as kind of a double whammy. You know, it takes many lifetimes to build up our karma or our, our karmic debt, mm-hmm. and uh, it could take many lifetimes to balance it. It's like the line from a book years ago, a habit of years is hard to break. And you can't, it's like you, if you have a diet, you can't. Take care of 20 years of eating wrong with 10 days of a diet. Uh-huh. You know, get a good start, but yeah. So we know we know <laughs> that we have the means right here and now to accelerate the balancing of that karma, and hopefully it doesn't take us lifetimes to get over. Well, what yeah, we created if we, if we choose, right? Yeah, free will, which is only right since it was through the, that free will that we were given that we created that karma, good and bad, and you know, in the first place. Well, and also the means to balance it. Correct. Violet Flame. Let's Mm. not get too far ahead of ourselves, though. (laughs) It is our obligation to life to balance that karma. Why? Because, as we've said in the past, everything we do, every thought, word, and deed uses God's energy. You know, that's our God-given creative power that we spoke about last week. Uh, It's an awesome power that we possess, and we are obliged to use it wisely. Yes, with superpowers comes responsibility. (laughs) Indeed, yes. We must use it well. Yes, we have to use it well. We create good karma, and if we don't use it well, then we get the bad karma. Yeah, and obviously we we want more of the former and less of the latter. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there's no escaping the requirement to balance every jot and tittle of that bad karma. Yeah, we're accountable. It'd be nice if somebody else was, but unfortunately, we are truly responsible for our karma. As we said a number of times, there's no get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm -mm. Um, You know, you remember um, last week, 
we touched on the idea that the great master Jesus chose to carry the burden of our karma until we were able to carry it ourselves. That's right. And Jesus came to show us that we too can achieve self-mastery and personal Christhood. He could forgive us our miscreation, but he can't absolve us of it. So that's a big that's a big concept, being forgiven but still being responsible. Absolutely. And he wouldn't because balancing our karma is the road that we must take to make our ascension and to graduate to higher realms of spirit. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody should understand that this idea of Jesus carrying our karma until we can handle it ourselves takes nothing away from the incredibly selfless act you know, that, that, that he took. Oh my gosh. I mean, holding our karma at bay was and is a tremendously uh, important gesture for us. Oh, and it, it's an absolutely magnificent example of mastery. You know, after all, it's through the imitation of Christ in the following, uh, in his footsteps, that we attain immortality. Mm -hmm. And balancing our karma is central to our achieving self-mastery. And you know, Tom, when we talk about karma, we're, we're talking about our past, certainly, but also about the current condition mm -hmm. of our life. And remember what we said just a few minutes ago, the past actions create the present circumstances. You know, it's an amazing um, key, I think, to a level of integrity and accountability in our lives that mm -hmm. we are constantly outpicturing our karma. And it might be karma that we created five minutes ago as well as five mm -hmm. lifetimes ago or 500 years ago. It's not just in what we do, but in who we do with as well. Well, you know, and that and an important point before that is, is that a lot of times we create karma and we don't know the round trip time for it. No. We don't know if it'll take 20 years. We don't know if it'll be five minutes. So that's <laughs> part of the mystery. That's why a lot of people don't seem to get that. Yeah. But, you know, we've got karma with lots and lots of other people. I'll <laughs> say, look at your relationships, your parents, your children, your friends, your coworkers, uh, okay. uh, your enemies. Mm -hmm. They're all tied to our karma, and we're tied to theirs. Well, you know, so it's probably a really good idea to be nice to others, <laughs> you know, because you, you may never know what sins you're paying for, but they're a lot easier to pay for with kindness than with anger or hatred. Or violence. Well, you know, in that reaction that you have when somebody rubs you the wrong way or whatever it is, it's a good idea to look mm -hmm. at that person and think, hmm, why do I have that reaction? You know, I, this came up in conversation just recently where what we see in others, we strengthen in ourselves. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when I'm reacting to in somebody else's behavior is something I'm carrying, you know, so it's... It's true. You yeah. know, the, the world scene is, is just filled with karmic struggles. You know, look at, look at the border uh, situations with the different countries and oh. wars. And I mean, some of these have played out for centuries, you know, even longer, mm -hmm. you know, thousands yeah. of years. When you read about all this continual warfare between the, the, you know, the different ethnic groups, you can be sure that they're paying out and playing out the cycles of karmic retribution that may end when <laughs> they discover forgiveness and love uh, and can only end when that happens. So as long as this enmity, this, this struggle continues, well, so will the karma. And, you know, we're not just talking about karma. We're talking about the law of karma. The formula of karma. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's a cosmic law. You know, it's like the old joke about uh, 186,000 miles per second. It's not just a good idea. It's a law. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, everybody is subject to this karmic and cosmic law. So the sooner we understand that, then we can get the formula to tackle our karma consciously and balance it all the better. And you know what we're not talking about? A lot of things. <laughs> this is the elephant in the room. That's right. Uh, Western religions don't accept or teach the law of karma or the concept of reincarnation. That's true. I mean, which is really a pity because it, it's such a key understanding that without this, you can have your, your upward progress be seriously compromised. You know, sometimes even stopped in his tracks. Um, to help illuminate um, these topics further, 
Uh, we'd like to play for you an excerpt from Karma and Reincarnation by Elizabeth Clare Prophet, which is read here by our very own Terry Kennedy. And Karma and Reincarnation is the book. Is the book. That's correct. right. Yes. Here's Terry. Karma and Reincarnation. The belief in karma and reincarnation crisscrosses time and space, finding a home in many cultures, both ancient and modern. The most elaborately developed concepts of karma and reincarnation are found in the religious traditions of India, especially Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, and Sikhism. These traditions explain that the soul reaps both the good and the bad that she has sown in previous lifetimes. Just as a farmer plants a certain kind of seed and gets a certain crop, so it is with good and bad deeds, explains the Mahabharata, the great Hindu epic. The Dhammapada, a collection of sayings of the Buddha, tells us, What we are today comes from our thoughts of yesterday. If a man speaks or acts with an impure mind, suffering follows him as the wheel of the cart follows the beast that draws the cart. If a man speaks or acts with a pure mind, joy follows him as his own shadow. Although this fact is unknown to many Westerners, before the advent of Christianity, reincarnation was also a part of the spiritual beliefs of many of the people of Europe. Karma picks up where the golden rule leaves off. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, because someday it will be done unto you. The Sanskrit word karma means act, action, word, or deed. The law of karma, as it is traditionally taught, says that our thoughts, words, and deeds, positive and negative, create a chain of cause and effect, and that we will personally experience the effect of every cause we have set in motion. Karma, therefore, is our greatest benefactor, returning to us the good we have sent to others. It is also our greatest teacher, allowing us to learn from our mistakes. Because the law of karma gives back to us whatever we have sent forth as thought, word, or deed, some think of it as punishment. Not so. The law of karma is the law of love. There is no greater love than having the opportunity to understand the consequences of our action, or our inaction, so that our soul can grow. Karma teaches us to love and to love and to love, as no other process can. It gives us hope. Take, for example, the tragic case of Avianca Flight 052. In 1990, after a long trip from Columbia, it was trying to land at John F. Kennedy International Airport. Controllers and bad weather had delayed its landing for an hour and 17 minutes. The jet ran out of fuel and crashed into a hillside in Cove Neck, New York, killing 73 and injuring 85. The National Transportation Safety Board said, that inadequate traffic flow management contributed to the accident as well as faulty communication. The crew did not communicate an emergency fuel situation which would have enabled them to have a priority landing. The official transcript of the cockpit voice recorder shows that the first officer who had the job of communicating with air traffic controllers told the control tower that the plane was low on fuel but he never used the word emergency even though the pilot directed him to. In karmic terms, the first officer was at least partially accountable for the deaths and injuries of those on board. Having died in the crash himself, how would he be able to pay his debt to the people harmed by his negligence? Would God send him to hell? According to the law of cause and effect, the law of karma, 
Here's one possible scenario. He will mercifully be allowed to reincarnate and have the opportunity to work in a position where he can serve those who had suffered. The passengers whose destiny in this life may have been cut short through this accident will also be given another opportunity to live and complete their soul journey. A single lifetime, whether lived to nine or ninety-nine, is just not enough time for the soul to pay off her karmic debts, develop her vast potential, or fulfill her reason for being. How could we learn all our spiritual lessons or share all our unique talents on the stage of life in only one lifetime? Well, you know, and, and there it is. Um, the vast majority of the world, um, probably two-thirds or more, believes in the law of karma and the concept of reincarnation. Well, and they also understand the nature of personal and spiritual accountability. And they also understand that it certainly transcends a single lifetime. You know, to me, it's, it's a relief in a way to realize that both my issues and my talents are the net result of many lifetimes. And it's why some people are really good at certain things and others are not, you know, like the story of the child that can play piano at two. Mm -hmm. They didn't take lessons in this lifetime. And our <laughs> lifetimes gravitate towards not just those karmic issues we have to balance, but also to the skills, the talents, the attributes, and the fields where we've gained mastery in the past. Yeah, okay, Ross, so we've got karma. Now what? <laughs> the violet flame. Mm -hmm. The cleansing, forgiving, healing, mercy flame. We need it. Don't leave home without it. That's right. Now, I think in this next um, week, we're going to be focusing on the Violet Flame. But for the moment, when we come back, we will have a very special interview with Elizabeth Clare Prophet, in which she delves into the essential nature of karma, the soul, judgment, and much more. Don't go away. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And how do I get there? These are some of the basic questions we all ask ourselves on the spiritual path, and the answers we find certainly vary. Who are you? You are a child of God, and as a child of God, you carry within you the seed of actually becoming God. This seed is your Christ self, the same in you that is in Jesus Christ. Why are you here? To master yourself in order to graduate from Earth's schoolroom and reunite with the heart of God. Essentially, you are following in the footsteps of Jesus and other great saints and sages who have gone before. Where are you going? Home. Call it Nirvana, the hereafter, the heaven world, whatever you want. It's the next stop on your journey. And finally, how do you get there? Let us show you how. Visit us at www.tsl.org. We are the Summit Lighthouse. We practice and publish the teachings of the Ascended Masters, and we've got answers to all of your questions. Visit tsl.org today. The Summit Lighthouse. Master yourself. Become God. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network.
are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Ross Brunson and Tom Schumacher. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. Welcome back. In our last segment, we spoke about the law of karma, balancing our debts to life, and also about our repeated return trips to this physical reality. Yeah, and now in the following interview, Elizabeth Clare Prophet not only takes us deeper into the subjects of karma and reincarnation, but also into how they relate to the soul's desire to, in, to inherit eternal life. Our interviewer is Doug Kenyon. Tell us more about karma and reincarnation. Well, you know, Doug, since I've always had the awareness of a prior existence, I have never had to really prove the concept of reincarnation logically or doctrinally or scripturally, but only after I realized that this was such a hard saying for so many people did I come to the idea that perhaps I might find corroboration for what God in me was teaching me. And truly, I have been taught of God and not by doctrinal disputes. And I'm not trying to engage in doctrinal dispute. But I happened to notice one day in the ninth chapter of John concerning the man who was born blind. And the disciples asked Jesus, Who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That question by the disciples is very astute because it shows that they understand the law of karma and re-embodiment. They know that the consequence of sin outpictured upon the body will be some form of sickness or infirmity. They understood the interrelationship of karma within the family. So they realized that his parents could have sinned or he could have sinned. Now the question is so obvious. If it was the man who had sinned, he had to have sinned before that incarnation because it clearly states he was blind from his birth. Jesus did not rebuke their question. He answered it, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. This is another teaching. It shows us that some volunteer to come into life with infirmity for the glory of God, not because they have karma of a prior existence. This is part of the way of the bodhisattvas of the East who come to bear the karma of mankind. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, this man volunteered to be born this way so that at this moment and this hour he could be brought before us and could be healed that God might be glorified. Nevertheless, the teaching of karma is unmistakably present as a part of the disciples' common awareness with their master. But what about Paul's statement in Hebrews, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment? Well, here again is the problem of doctrinal dispute, which I really do not wish to enter, but this is always cited as the final proof that there's no such thing as reincarnation. But look, what are we talking about? Paul, speaking of death, when he already knows that Jesus has overcome death and that we do not die but we only sleep. Paul, the theologian, who said, I die daily. He is not talking about the cessation of life in the temple that we call death. He is talking about the death 
that is most important, the same death which Jesus exemplified upon the cross. In order to go through the initiation of the crucifixion, it meant the complete death of the lesser self. Paul is teaching us that there is one death of the carnal mind, and after we have put that death to the carnal mind, then God brings us to the final judgment. But until this death is experienced, we will keep on reincarnating because we are not ready for the judgment. Is the law of karma absolutely inexorable? The other day I was reading a paperback book entitled The Lost Books of the Bible and the Forgotten Books of Eden. And this is a compilation of scriptures written by members of the early church which were rejected when our Bible was put together, somewhat arbitrarily. Uh, some say they are a collection of legends, but there is much authentic material that corroborates the scripture that we have today. But in the forgotten books of Eden, there is a conversation that takes place between the Lord God and Adam and Eve. And it takes place after Adam and Eve have been dismissed from the garden for their disobedience. And they are very penitent and they pray to God night and day and they have prayers and fastings and they say, God, please let us return. We only sinned for a few hours and now we have to pay this terrible price for our sin. And this appeal comes from Adam and Eve again and again. And again and again, God says the same thing. You have been disobedient to my law. You must wait. 6,000 years for the coming of my son. I will send my son and he will be a redemption to you and through him you will attain the resurrection. Now the obvious implication here is that if Adam and Eve are going to be around 6,000 years from now, they will have to reincarnate. God tells them that they will have to continue outside the garden and toil by the sweat of the brow until the coming of his son. He does not say succeeding generations or your children's children children will benefit from this, but he says you directly. To me, the implication is clear. Was Jesus then a special creation of God unlike all other men? If he was, then we would all be lost. Because unless Jesus is like us, we cannot follow him in the regeneration or in the resurrection. We cannot do the works which he did. And the point of his coming is lost. It is the imitation of the Christ, the following in his footsteps, whereby we attain immortality. Jesus feared a personality cult growing up around him, whereby he would be worshipped instead of emulated. I believe that Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law, not as its exception. And therefore, I believe that Jesus lived before and walked the path of righteousness as a very enlightened soul, nevertheless one who had to evolve through time and space, through Earth's schoolroom, in preparation for that final incarnation when he would fully exemplify the Christ, the only begotten Son of God. This he did so that we might go and do likewise. St. Germain teaches us that this life in this cycle may very well be for many children of God that final incarnation when we can walk hand in hand with Jesus and the other ascended masters to prove our resurrection and our ascension in the light by the same law and the same science 
which he demonstrated. This to me is the great joy of living. But there were many miraculous occurrences associated with the life of Jesus. Doesn't that make him unique? Well, it certainly makes him unique in his time and in our time because there are so many disobedient, rebellious ones on earth who are not fulfilling the law of the Christ and of the prophets. In a world where people are taught to believe that they are sinners and where they fulfill the law of sin and mortality, the Son of God, who is obedient to the law of life everlasting, is indeed the exception. But that does not mean that we cannot all be the exception to a way of life which is not the way of God. What part does karma play in the final judgment? An interesting fact about the judgment, Doug, is that Jesus himself taught that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. We also read in the book of Revelation that in the final judgment they were judged according to their works. And again it repeats, they were judged every man according to their works. Now if the judgment of whether the soul is to inherit eternal life comes by a man's word and his works, then where does the vicarious atonement come in? How can Jesus save our souls and guarantee us eternal life if we confess his name, if when we stand before the judgment, the judgment is not according to whether or not we have confessed the name of Jesus Christ, but it is according to what is written in the book of life, which is the record of all of our incarnations since our first coming to earth, according to the word and the works. This is the law of karma. Can the soul die? The book of Revelation speaks of the second death. The second death is the death of the soul. It is written in Scripture, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. This shows the possibility that the soul who does not choose to glorify God and to bend the knee before the Christ and to walk in the way of Christ or of the eternal flame of that Christ as it appears in the Buddha, in the Mother, and so forth that that soul may face in the last judgment the second death. And the four and twenty elders who are mentioned in the same book are the ones who stand before the great white throne, the throne that is the force field of Almighty God at the court of the sacred fire where this last judgment takes place. And so there is the possibility that the soul who rebels against God may be canceled out as an energy field, as a consciousness, and the energy of God and the Christ within, as well as the I Am Presence, then returned to the consciousness of the universal Christ and the universal God. Does the spirit die? The spirit can never die. The Bhagavad Gita says, never the spirit was born, the spirit shall cease to be never. The spirit is the point of origin, the I Am that I Am. But the soul represents the consciousness evolving in time and space. That identity which reincarnates again and again, which makes karma and balances karma and is destined to ascend back to the Spirit of God, can be lost. This is the teaching of the scriptures of East and West. Thank you very much. Up next, our weekly visit and Q&A with Sid Bennett. Don't go away.
online community for positive change. Seventh Wave Network. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And how do I get there? These are some of the basic questions we all ask ourselves on the spiritual path, and the answers we find certainly vary. Who are you? You are a child of God, and as a child of God, you carry within you the seed of actually becoming God. This seed is your Christ self, the same in you that is in Jesus Christ. Why are you here? To master yourself in order to graduate from Earth Schoolroom and reunite with the heart of God. Essentially, you are following in the footsteps of Jesus and other great saints and sages who have gone before. Where are you going? Home. Call it nirvana, the hereafter, the heaven world, whatever you want. It's the next stop on your journey. And finally, how do you get there? Let us show you how. Visit us at www.tsl.org. We are the Summit Lighthouse. We practice and publish the teachings of the Ascended Masters, and we've got answers to all of your questions. Visit tsl.org today. The Summit Lighthouse. Master yourself. Become God. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Ross Brunson and Tom Schumacher. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. We're back, and joining us once again is Sid Bennett to answer your questions. Hello, Sid. Morning, gentlemen. Hello there, Sidney. Um, first question, um, like the bodhisattvas, can we personally help someone else balance their karma? Absolutely. Um, and it's interesting, there's a number of cases where this might be uh, reflected. First I can think of is when a couple get married. Well, what happens when you get married to someone? Well, you take on the other person's karma, ah. and they take on yours. And so it's... Uh, so that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an agreement of the souls, as well as at outer and inner levels, that will help, you'll help each other to balance your karma. And you can see this in family relationships, or one of the spouses, work situations, and the children, whatever. It's very clear that they are taking upon each other's karma. And I wanted to add here that when you are married uh, under a guise of a religious sponsorship, it could be any church or religion, you do receive a sponsorship from God that helps you deal with that karma. When people don't get married and they live together and so forth, they don't have that sponsorship or hmm. they have a civil union. So you can see that even though God, you take on someone else's karma, in that case, you get the help uh, of a sponsorship in the uh, institution of marriage, which we know Jesus blessed. Um, now, is it the same thing true for um, balancing world karma? I mean, can we can we do this personally and balance a portion of world karma? Well, that's the amazing thing, Tom, because if you look at the history of the saints of East and West, none of them had a very easy go of it. I mean, in <laughs> fact, you could make an argument that uh, sainthood is not something that uh, you want to tackle without a, a open eyes and an open mind. <laughs> I mean, one of the saints says, said to God, you know, if this is the way you treat people, no wonder you have so few friends. <laughs> but, but in reality, what was yeah. happening was the saints, because they love God so much, they take on world karma, in other the karma of the world. And for the earth to continue, there must be a balance. And that balance, karmic balance, must be held. 
And if individuals can't, aren't holding it themselves, then someone else must hold it in order to allow for the earth to continue. And so many great sages of East and West have taken world karma upon them. And actually, we can do that today. And as we get into the vial of fame next week, you'll hear more about that. Mm -hmm. So, Sid, let's go back to that uh, situation where people get married or don't get married and the karma that's there. I know some people who the only reason I can see why they haven't gotten married to the person they've been with for years is that they somehow instinctively know that there'll be a karmic situation. <laughs> you know, well, there, whether they get married or not, there is a karmic situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the difference is, do you want the sponsorship of God mm -hmm. in resolving this karma in your marriage, or do you mm -hmm. want to try it on your own? Well, to me, that's no choice. Yeah, yeah I'm going for God on that one. <laughs> so now, how is Jesus able to hold so much karma? I mean, entire you know planetary karma, world karma for everybody at bay. I mean, is this a special ability, or is this something that other people can do? Is there a way to, to figure out how? Well, even though Jesus taught the path we're all supposed to walk, it's very clear that Jesus is a special soul because of his attainment in God. And when I talk about attainment, it's how much light he has garnered in his causal body. Because again, to hold the balance for a planet, and think of all the darkness and all the karma that, that the billions of people on this planet that come in and out of embodiment have. And yet Jesus is able to bear that and has for the past 2,000 years because of the light in his causal body and the light of his attainment. That's an, an unbelievable accomplishment, and that is why we honor him as mm. such a great soul. Mm -hmm. You know, last week, I have to take you back a week here, you said that you felt many Christians have accepted the doctrines of karma and reincarnation. I mean, not openly, perhaps, but in the privacy of their own homes and hearts. Do you feel that this is or may be a harbinger of a reawakening of these beliefs within the orthodoxy of the organized religions of the West? Well, I think the organized religions of the West are going to have to decide whether they're going to move with the people or stay with their orthodoxy. And you'll find many of the traditional um, denominations as, as, a, as dying denominations. They're just the older people and so forth, but the churches are empty. Mm -hmm. And until they recognize that people are, this is a new age in the sense that people have no awareness and an openness to these teachings, and they're going to look ultimately to the place where those are provided because they have answers, which traditional orthodoxy just doesn't have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So changing the subject a little bit, we are taught that the soul is immortal, Yet, we just heard Mrs. Prophet say the soul can die. Help us out with that. Well, the soul has the potential to become immortal. And so, it's very clear that we have been given free will, which is the governing power and force of the universe. Whatever we choose, we can follow. And we can include, we can choose to have the second death. Or we can choose not to be immortal. Now, why a soul would do that doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me. But unfortunately, some people have made that choice and have taken the left-handed or the dark path. Mm -hmm. And so the soul can die, but the soul can also be born to immortal life. And that's the good news. That's the gospel that tells us we're on the right track and we're moving forward. Because obviously, I can't imagine anyone not wanting that. And so God will give us the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, in reference to the, the death of the soul, the potential, the possibility, that second death, um, is it true that some of the original fallen angels, uh, Lucifer and Satan, for example, have already suffered the second death? Well, in fact, Mrs. Prophet has taught that they have gone through the second death, and within the 20th century, as a matter of fact. Mm. You have to realize that they were around for a very long time, because Lucifer, for example, was an archangel. He was a soul of great light when he chose not to bend the knee before God's creation, which is sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. And so he had a tremendous momentum that he didn't lose. Even though he was kicked out of heaven, he still had this tremendous momentum. And so that's why, and, and I would add to that, you know, a third of the angels fell with him. So even though Lucifer and Satan have gone to the second death because they chose not to be God, they chose to turn mm -hmm. against him. 
But look at the opportunity they were giving for, yeah. for perhaps millions of years. But unfortunately, there are other fallen angels that are ready to take their place. They're the seed of Lucifer or the seed of Satan. And so the fact that the original Lucifer and Satan are gone doesn't mean we aren't dealing with, with evil, because obviously it's still manifest upon this planet. So it's an pr- ongoing process. You know, um, I, I'm assuming from what you've said that it's not a foregone conclusion that all fallen angels go to the second death. Absolutely not. We know of cases where fallen angels have suddenly realized they made the mistake, they've had opportunity to come back to God and to sort of return to the fold. Now, obviously, they made a lot of karma as following <laughs> Lucifer as Satan, but God in his mercy will give them the opportunity to balance that karma. And maybe it's through embodiment or other ways, but God is so merciful because whenever, wherever we are, it doesn't matter. If we turn to him, there can be mercy and opportunity. So, Sid, walk us through what actually happens or what we have been taught happens at the second death. I mean, do they put on the, put on the overalls and walk the extra mile? I mean, how does, it, how does it happen? And it really sounds final. Well, it is final. But let me, let me say here that no one goes through the second death that doesn't choose that. I mean, this is not a punishment of mm-hmm. God where if you make one mistake, mm-hmm. you know, it's off to the sacred fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something, <laughs> it's a culmination of hundreds and thousands of perhaps millions of years where the soul has chosen not to be. You know, mm-hmm. it is that Moses taught us, choose life next, death, not death. And you can actually not choose life. And, and you might, you know, but no one will go to the second death that has not made the conscious free will choice of it. But there are people that have anger at God, have turned against God, and, and have spent eons literally tormenting the people of God. And, you know, the clenched fist is the symbol of Satan, mm-hmm. you know. And, in mm-hmm. fact, we're taught that Lucifer went to his death, second death with a, a clenched fist. So there's a trial, in essence, where all the embodiments are presented. The, the person there has, a, in essence, a defense attorney, if you will, <laughs> to try and present the positive things. But I want to add something that the, the light of the sacred fire of the second death which extinguishes a soul is the same light which gives immortality. Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing teaching because it's the light of love. And mm-hmm. when we choose to embody that love and balance our karma, that same flame doesn't harm us because we're love. And it can never harm love or the personification of love. So it's the same thing. We can choose immortal life. Or we can choose to lose that. And everyone has a cycle and a time. And for many of us, this is an important time in our cosmic history to make the right choices. You know, um, we're going to have a program devoted to the angels, the fallen angels, archangels, etc. coming up here in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the questions that I know will come up, because it always does, is are angels um, disembodied or do they actually... Uh, exist with us? Are they embodied? Are we walking around with them? Are, are, are they in our midst? Um, can you expand a little bit on that now as maybe a tease for the upcoming sure, show? Sure, <laughs> absolutely. You know, angels were created by God to be as messengers, to be as servants, and to serve man. And angels have love just like we have love. Archangel Michael, for example, started out as an elemental and graduated to become an angel. He had embodiments and so forth. There was great attainment. So many angels do embody. First of all, the fallen angel were cast out of heaven. Well, if they weren't in heaven, where were they? Well, clearly, they were in physical embodiment. This is where they came. Mm-hmm. And so there are fallen angels in embodiment. But you know, there's also the wonderful angels in embodiment. Uh, mother Mary was an angel. She's an archaei um, who came to embodiment to be the mother of Jesus. And many angels look down on earth and see the plight of God's people here, and they volunteer to take embodiment so they can help. And 
there are indeed angels around us. And I think the scriptures talk about be, be aware of who you entertain because you may entertain angels unaware. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the angels topic, I mean, uh, everybody uses that phrase. Oh, you're such an angel about such and such, so and so. Or, you know, and uh, I think one of the teachings, and you, maybe you can expand on this just a bit, is that there are people who are angels, you know, they're angels in embodiment, and they tend towards particular uh, traits or, mm-hmm. you know, skill sets or, you know, being a fireman or Sure. rescue worker, etc. Sure. A perfect example of that are many policemen. Archangel Michael's band or the Blue Lightning Angels, they serve to protect and take care of people. Many of them embody as policemen or perhaps in the military to defend people and defend America. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, I think um, that it? well, I think we're time, so. kind of running down on the old okay. clock there. <laughs> well, we've got a lot more that we can talk about, and we're going to, so don't <laughs> go away. But we'll be right back with Sid Bennett. Thank you, Sid. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And how do I get there? These are some of the basic questions we all ask ourselves on the spiritual path, and the answers we find certainly vary. Who are you? You are a child of God, and as a child of God, you carry within you the seed of actually becoming God. This seed is your Christ self, the same in you that is in Jesus Christ. Why are you here? To master yourself in order to graduate from Earth's schoolroom and reunite with the heart of God. Essentially, you are following in the footsteps of Jesus and other great saints and sages who have gone before. Where are you going? Home. Call it nirvana, the hereafter, the heaven world, whatever you want. It's the next stop on your journey. And finally, how do you get there? Let us show you how. Visit us at www.tsl.org. We are the Summit Lighthouse. We practice and publish the teachings of the Ascended Masters, and we've got answers to all of your questions. Visit tsl.org today. The Summit Lighthouse. Master yourself. Become God. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Ross Brunson and Tom Schumacher. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. We're back with Sid Bennett to continue our discussion about karma, reincarnation, the soul, judgment, and other fun topics. Yeah. Um, You know, Sidney, in the interview that we played earlier, uh, Mrs. Prophet spoke about the role that karma plays in the final judgment, that we must give account for every thought, word, and deed, even our idle thoughts. Now, to some this may seem harsh, but in reality it's actually merciful. Can you help us understand why? Well, absolutely, because the law of karma is the law that God has made. And so we are accountable for everything. And we are not going to learn our mastery that God wants us to learn until we take accountability or responsibility for our actions. You know, one of the favorite quotes I have from the Bible is that Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. Think about that. Hmm. And what is suffering? Is suffering is the return of karma. That's how you learn to be obedient to God and to be all that you are. How can we 
be co-creators with God in this universe until we have overcome this human consciousness that wastes energy, wastes time, and is not a just steward of God's resources. So it's the mercy of God that we are accountable. Mm-hmm. So Mrs. Prophet also makes mention of Adam and Eve, where God tells them that they must remain on the earth for 5,500 years and through many embodiments to atone for their disobedience. To many, Adam and Eve are more you know, allegorical or you know, fictional than actual, yet here they're spoken of as quite real. Were they real? Well, absolutely they were real. They were individuals, and of course the, Bible, the story in the Bible only tells part of the story. And we're taught that there was a great mystery school of the ascended masters of God at that time. It took place in that what was then the continent of Lemuria. And you had souls under the tutelage of the masters of great beings of light. And they chose by their own free will to leave that mystery school or that great place of light. And by doing so, they created a karma. Now, unfortunately, what happened is many of us were in that school with them, and we chose to follow them. So Adam and Eve were the first ones to leave, but many of us, since that time, many, many, of course, it was much more than 6,000 years ago that this occurred, have been trying to get back and get back to God because of our disobedience. So yes, they're real people, we have ties to them, and it's also our role and our path to return to God. Um, Does that mean that the Garden of Eden was the mystery school? Absolutely. Again, the Bible just, you know, has a very small portion of the teaching of the understanding that there was a place of great light and great wisdom where the masters walked and talked with people on a daily basis, Hmm. and we had the opportunity to learn and grow. But it was the temptation that Adam and Eve succumbed to that caused them to be cast out, or cast out of the garden, if you will, and has taken a very long time. But by God's grace, this is the hour for them and for us to return home. So, Sid, when, when reading this to our, our daughter, uh, she asked very pertinent questions, like, how did, how did God make Eve out of a rib? Uh, where th- was there really an apple tree? Things like that. And I know everybody is always, you know, you, you wonder when you hear these, you know, how did they know it was so long ago? <laughs> is that the allegorical part of it? Is, is this well, really? I think there is. And, and you realize that this story has been handed down and, and clearly things could be adjusted or changed. So you have to look at the core of the truth in there. So I wouldn't be my place to say that women were made out of the rib of a man. <laughs> I wouldn't go there either. <laughs> you know, I'm going back to something we were talking about a moment ago in terms of um, accountability. Uh, I read some place, and I'm not sure where it was. Um, if you don't like what's going on, change your mind. Mm-hmm. And the degree to which that speaks to personal accountability would seem to me to be a good way to live our lives rather than expecting us to accept a circumstance that may seem to be out of our control. We, in fact, have a certain degree of control. This may go back to karma, uh, other factors. But what I'd like you to expand on, if you would, is the, the nature of spiritual accountability as not something we have to do right all the time, but at least we attempt by our attitude to do right or be right. You know what I'm and, saying? And much of it is vibration. There's physical mm-hmm. karma, and, you know, as Jesus said, you send, you think of evil towards a man, you can harm another man. And so um, what we do is so important. And there are many people that are angry with God. God, why mm-hmm. would God allow this pain and suffering mm-hmm. on the planet? Look what's happening to children on this planet. You hear it all the time. And, yeah. and, and God is, what God is saying, why are you allowing this to happen on the planet? Uh-huh. I have given you dominion over the physical plane. You have allowed this to happen, whether in your personal life or on the planet. And we realize the ultimate accountability we have, and it's also an opportunity to change the world. I used to think as a boy, what can I do? I'm one person. I can't affect the world. Mm-hmm. And yet one person in God, through the use of the violet flame and spiritual tools we have, can change the world. And once we take that accountability on an individual level and on a planetary level, the world will be different. 
because people will act differently. You remember how we talked about this last week, how powerful we are? Absolutely. You've just spoken to that again. I mean, we are utterly powerful because we co-create with God. And we can also make an enormous karma when we choose not to. You know, you Mm -hmm. hear about people going on a crime spree. People can go on karma-making sprees (laughs) where they can make an enormous amount of karma. Mm -hmm. So it behooves us all to take Mm -hmm. seriously every day of our lives, not in fear of making a mistake, but in doing the best we can and, and drawing down the light of God to help atone for our mistakes, to forgive others, and to find a solution to the dilemma of this planet, both individually and collectively. Because if you look at it at a human level, there's no way out. Only through mm-hmm. God and through His light is there a solution to the economy, mm-hmm. to our personal path, to our family problems, you name it. You know, you talked about the, this understanding that we are co-creators with God and that we have the power. Uh, the analogy I used to use was that it's like starving to death in a supermarket. You know, we have all these tools. We've been told time and time and time again what we can do, and yet somehow in, in the stress of the moment, we forget how to do that. Is there, is there a, uh, we've talked about sins and balancing karma and things like that. Uh, somebody asked me a, a few days ago, what is the difference between a sin of committing a sin and a sin of omitting something. Well, I mean, it's very obvious when you commit a sin, what you do, and sin, of course, is the misuse of God's energy. And you don't think of it in the connotation as we're sinners condemned to hell. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a mistake, it's an error that creates never car- negative karma. The sin of omission is uh, like the story of the Good Samaritan, where so many went by the person that had a need, and they just turned the other way. Mm-hmm. So clearly, there can be sins of omission and commission. And this is where the walk with God, because many things um, are not crystal clear. Those cases are, but some require great attunement and understanding, and you can only get through it through your relationship with God. You know, one of the things that many of us grew up with was a sense that we're worthless sinners. Mm-hmm. And to understand the power that we have, that we carry in our hearts, in our souls, in our spirits, it's awfully hard to, to make that statement ring true anymore, that we're, we're certainly not worthless, but we're taught to feel that somehow or other we're, we're, we're limited by our, our earthly existence. And in fact, you know, we're, we're not. I mean, I, I think it's a travesty, frankly. I guess I'm speaking from my personal, my personal path, that growing up in that regard, it took me out of the circle of God, and I didn't realize that. And now, thank God, it comes back to the point where we can understand that we are absolutely worthy of being forgiven. For anything that we do, even if it's a terrible thing, absolutely, and we can for, we can be forgiven and then balance the karma. Mm-hmm. So we've we've you know we've made the 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 ledger balance there. And I want to add that another problem with this worthless sinners is then we take we give up accountability. Well, I'm so bad anyway. <laughs> what difference does it make what yeah. I do? What, it's mm-hmm. another way that the forces of darkness have tried to limit people from becoming all they become, to hold their heads high. I'm a son or daughter of God. Mm-hmm. I have sinned, but I am not a sinner by nature. And I can balance mm-hmm. my karma and move forward in my path. You know, Sid, somebody asked me yesterday if we were going to be talking about the, the various products that people can get to. Uh, I wanted to tell everybody the Karma and Reincarnation Pocket Guide. is mm-hmm. It's just awesome. It, I mean, you heard a passage from it uh, read by Terry. You can get this very easily by going to tsl.org forward slash and then the numerals 4496. 4496 is the product code. Uh, you can get a copy of it. Uh, it's a wonderful little book. A lot of people buy the little pocket guides and give them out to friends and family. So, yeah. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, in in some of the time we have left, there's one thing I did wanted to um, to just kind of revisit here as we're closing out the old year. Um, a little wrap up might be in order. Um, you'll recall from the first shows that we did that 
the questions we'd asked were, who are you? Why are you here? Where are you going? How do you get there? And by now, um, you've heard us refer to these questions frequently, and perhaps a bit of clarity might be in order. We know that these are not the only questions we ask ourselves as we strive to come up higher spiritually. We simply offer them as a way of organizing our spiritual path. Um, by understanding ourselves as spiritual beings, we begin to operate in the world more spiritually. So no matter where we are or who we're with, by gaining a clear sense of why we're here, we can focus our energies on accomplishing our own spiritual destiny. So where are you going? There's an old saying, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. By simply knowing where we're going, we've got a clear target. And once we know where there is, we can more readily adapt to new disciplines, modify our activities, learn useful techniques, and apply them in order to forge the shortest path to getting there. Obviously, each of these questions brings up numerous other questions, and that's the nature of true spiritual inquiry. Our main interest is in keeping the journey as simple and straightforward as possible so that more and more people can walk this path confidently. Now, that wasn't exactly a commercial. That was just kind of a statement mm -hmm. here of intent. And yep. um, I wanted to go back to Sydney. And thanks for sitting through that, Sydney. Sure. Um, in terms of the path that we are offering people now, I, one of the words I typically use to summarize it is freedom. Is there a key word that comes to your mind that you would want to let people understand about the core, the true nature of these teachings? You know, I think it's, it's an opportunity to become who we are. You know, we've been condemned so much by the world, by people, by orthodox religion, to suddenly hear that you are a son or a daughter of God, you have a divine potential, and here are the tools you can use to get there. It is the most liberating, freeing thing that can be on this planet. We just have to choose to, to take advantage of it. <laughs> Thank you, Sidney. Um, well, everybody out there, please have a blessed Christmas and a bright new year. In the meantime, remember that though the upward path may be difficult, the rewards are literally out of this world. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Thank you again for joining us this week for The Open Door. This program is broadcast live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. For more information about The Open Door and the Summit Lighthouse, please visit our website at www.tsl.org. We'll see you again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.